From the Oxano Podcast Network, welcome to My Ministry Breakthrough, hosted by me, Brian Rose. This podcast is all about pastors sharing unfiltered stories of moments large and small, of times when the fog of ministry chaos clears and breakthrough clarity happens. I think people developers are just people who are always with people. I don't think it's that hard. I've, I've shared it with, uh, you know, we have we do like goals here at our church. And so we're talking about attendance goals and baptism goals. And, and I've said it this way before, that those guys who I've known over the years who are always about being with people. I mean, they're at breakfast, lunch, coffee. They're not stuck behind a computer in an office, but man, they're out with the people. Those people never struggle to reach a baptism goal because they're just naturally with people who visit the church and who are part of the church. They're just yeah. having natural conversations that lead to the gospel. And they're leading people to Christ and seeing them baptized. Seems like there's a lot of buzz in leadership circles today around church culture. Every day there's a new conference, book, or leader focused on setting and stewarding culture. A quote has been attributed to Peter Drucker through the years, culture eats strategy for breakfast. My good friend Todd Adkins with Lifeway Leadership always finishes that quote in this way, culture eats strategy for breakfast, but it gets its appetite from mission. There's no better example of mission-shaped culture than that of Cross Church in Northwest Arkansas. Everything they do across all of their campuses comes from a deep conviction in their missional call. My guest in this episode is Nick Floyd, who is the lead teaching pastor and staff leader for all four campuses at Cross Church. Nick is a second chair leader leading with authenticity, humility, and obvious skill. In this episode, he takes us under the hood of one of the largest and most evangelistically effective Southern Baptist churches in America. We talk about things many churches and leaders might find challenging, from maintaining standards of dress to setting and reaching goals of baptism. Yeah, the leadership of Cross Church sets baptism goals for their team every year. And you really need to hear why and how these culture-shaping conversations matter to their leadership. You probably need to hear them even more so if you're listening right now and you don't agree with or like the thought of dress codes or baptism goals. I won't give everything away, but for Cross Church, it all comes back to the mission and reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ across Northwest Arkansas, America, and the world. So lean in and listen up to my ministry breakthrough with Nick Floyd, lead teaching pastor at Cross Church in Fayetteville, Arkansas. It's great to sit down with you, Nick. Thanks for thanks for being a part of the podcast. Now, look, I can see over your left shoulder. Uh, you're sitting in your office in Fayetteville, Arkansas, right? Is that where your is that where your office is? Oh, yeah, yeah, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Okay, so you're in Fayetteville, Arkansas, Cross Church Fayetteville campus, sitting in your office, and I see this brick uh, on, over your left shoulder, and I, I just got to ask, what is that? What's what? Why do you have a brick on your shelf? Yeah, it uh, it's great to be with you, Brian. Excuse my voice; I've been sick, but. Uh, but we, uh, we built uh, a new church building. We relocated our church uh, back in February of 2018. So okay. up on, on a year or so in the building. And uh, not too long uh, after we moved in, uh, our campus pastor here, a guy named Phil, uh, there were extra bricks from the church construction who he got and uh, which he got. And he gave to each one of our staff members and basically challenged us all to write about the faithfulness of God uh, on these bricks. And so all around there, you know, from the people we saw baptized over the last year to 
opening day to our growth track stuff to Easter is all kind of the recounting of the faithfulness of God. And those are the things you, you put on there as just kind of a, as a marker memorial yeah. to that. Yeah. It really is. It's just the, it's the foundation of what God has done and is doing. And so all of these are a recounting of different stories and memories of, of that, that season. I see, I see it says it worked on there. What's that? What's it worked? What does that mean? Yeah, it's kind of a random, just a personal thing. Uh, we okay, were, well, you don't have to get into it, but it... No, it's, no, it's totally... No, it's, yeah. not, it's not that personal. Um, we were uh, in the middle of... It was our first uh, Easter. Was yeah. um, so a month and a half, two months later, after we had moved in the building... And so this was prime time. If you're ever going to have a great Easter, this, this is the time to have yeah. it. So we have the had, first Easter in the new building. Yeah. This is it. This is like high attendance ever, right? Oh yeah. So we had had a, a great opening day. And, uh, and so we had had five Easter services and it was during, it was during one of them towards probably the end of that, probably our third or fourth service where I walked up on stage while kind of our, you know, announcement video was, was being played. And I, I just talked to David McKinney, who you know, our worship pastor, and yeah. I said, I just, man, I, I always thought we could build a church on dynamic worship and strong biblical preaching. And I just had this thought in my mind of it worked. I mean, the, the vision that God had given uh, now, eight years later, um, I just believe that God let it work. And, uh, and so, so that's what I have written on the brick is it worked. It worked. Dynamic worship, strong biblical preaching. Yeah, and I think everything else flows from that. And, and you know, so much of disciple making is off of that and right. in smaller rooms and in smaller gatherings. Um, but so much of the measure of the heart of the church happens in the big room. And I don't think you can get away from that. And uh, so God had just just done so much. It was an overwhelming moment. And so that's that's what I chose to recount on my brick right there. I love that. I love that idea of keeping those um, mementos and keeping kind of the story close at hand. I think we have a pattern of that throughout the history of God's family. I mean, you know, take 12 stones, pile them up. When you bring your children back to this place, you'll tell them what I've done. I mean, how often does that brick come into conversation piece? Is that something you guys cultivate a part of the culture there at Cross Church or is this just kind of a one-off thing? Oh, well, it was really a one-off thing, but, but it's interesting. Now you can walk into, you know, many of the offices that, uh, that are right outside my door right here and you'll, you'll walk in and you'll see their brick with their recounting of the faithfulness of God and people's bricks are different. And, uh, so it's just, uh, it was a great idea by Phil. I mean, I guess yeah. I had nothing to do with it. And he, uh, he, he did something that will last for a long, long time, uh, in people's yeah. and in their offices. Yeah, I love that. Hey, let's let's take a step back. I kind of jumped in there because I, you know, my ADD kicked in and I saw a brick sitting on your shelf. Uh, give us a little snapshot. Give us take a couple minutes. Unpack Cross Church, Northwest Arkansas. Your role, Fayetteville campus. Just give our listeners just kind of a picture of of, of where you are in ministry and, and kind of that role. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Cross Church is uh, began uh, in Springdale, Arkansas, um, and we are celebrating. Uh, in February, our 149th birthday as a church. So next year we'll be 150 years old. Okay. It's a fascinating thing. And uh, so the church had had several names as it kind of came into its early existence. And then uh, for about the last hundred years, um, it, uh, it was called First Baptist Church of Springdale. 
And so that's really where the church hit its heyday and, and notoriety and, and uh, kind of our tribe of churches, the Southern Baptist Convention. And, uh, and then when we went multi-site, um, we really began to think about our name. And then when, when my campus, the Fayetteville campus came on in 2011, we officially changed the name of the church to Cross Church to kind of bring all the campuses under one name. So now we're, we're uh, one church in four locations, three in Northwest Arkansas, one just above the Missouri line. We're right by Missouri. And so it sounds further than it really is. Um, people may be listening. And, uh, and so, uh, God's just done a whole, whole lot, man. We're in a part of the, the world, part of the country. That's a, a unique, uh, a unique bird. You know, you think Arkansas and think, well, people don't have any shoes on and they don't have uh, teeth and Moonshine. yet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's, it's a highly, uh, business oriented, uh, context here. What do you uh, mean? Really anchored by Walmart who runs the world. That's right. Walmart. Here. I'm sure I've, I've, yeah, I'm, I've never one. heard of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're, yeah. Uh, Walmart <laughs> rules the world and uh, yeah. we love, we love Walmart here, man. Yeah. And so Walmart's in Bentonville, which is a part of our community. Uh, you have JB Hunt, which is one of the biggest trucking lines uh, in, uh, in America. That is also right here in our community. And then you have Tyson Foods uh, who dominates the poultry and beef. Yeah. And uh, so those, those three companies, along with the university of Arkansas, who right where I sit, I'm five minutes away from the university right now. Uh, those four things, uh, including the U of A, um, really run our community and uh, so much influence here locally, but around the world. So uh, when my dad uh, became the senior pastor uh, some 30 plus years ago, uh, he recounts it in, in like his first real meeting with the church. He said, listen, if, if Walmart can send product all over the world and if Tyson can send chicken all over the world and J.B. Hunt can do this all over the world, why in the world can't we take the gospel right here from Springdale, Arkansas, all over the world? So pretty cool how the Lord has crossed um, his path and our path and the church's paths with uh, this great community. So we, we love living here. Yeah. How does that influence the, the church culture? I mean, you guys have some pretty high powered um, businesses, you know, the university is there. Tell me about leading the church in that culture. Yeah. Well, you better know what you're doing. And you what better, do you mean? Well, we, uh, there's a sense in which this community is a professional community. Okay. And even more so when you go up more towards JB Hunt and, uh, and Walmart. Um, so we just try to do things with excellence. We believe that's what honors the Lord and what's fit, what fits our community. And so we are very consumed uh, with, with doing things the way that we think God wants them to be done. And that's the right way, the excellent way. We, that goes for everything from the way our buildings and grounds look to the way the bulletin looks to the way the transitions are made in a service to where people aren't walking in thinking, man, did they just come up with this this morning? Or are they working on this still right now? Or they walk in and say, man, I, I wasn't distracted by anything. I just got to worship the Lord and just hear from him and not worry about some Bush league church stuff that, uh, that often happens. Yeah. So, so the environment there that's, that's created in that culture means that you're, you're really kind of have to reach people with, with tools that are a little bit different, a little bit more excellent, a little bit, you know, than undistracting, I guess is the word you said that, that there's, yeah, that could be the case. You know, it's, and I know other parts of the country are, are the same and it doesn't mean that churches yeah. aren't 
you know, doing things to the level of excellence aren't effective or aren't right. I mean, I think God uses all churches to reach all kinds of people. Yeah. And so we just feel like we're running in our lane yeah. uh, when we do this and we just trust the Lord to, to help well, us who we can reach. It feels like there's a real missional lens on that. Like you're really kind of taking stock of the people. And I know kind of having come in and out of there before, I mean, there's, there's international people that because of these companies that, you know, are living there, that work there. There's, there's people that from, you know, could just as easily be living in New York City, but they live in Northwest Arkansas, which kind of creates a little bit of a, you know, it's kind of funny, you know, a little bit of a challenge, like, okay, you know, you guys, you guys, you know, seem like you're misplaced, you know, those people do. But on the one hand, there, there's, there's just this real neat culture there that yeah. I appreciate. And I think you guys have done a really good, res, you know, job responding to um, and reaching with, obviously, you know, the Lord is providing and, uh, and sending people to you guys. Can you give us an example of, of just kind of the leadership culture there? I, I mean, I would feel like that probably leadership is in high regard there, right? You guys have a, yeah. a pretty, pretty high uh, leadership culture there. Is, there. is there something unique that you've seen that you guys have that maybe other places don't? Well, you know, one thing my dad had started um, probably over 15 years now, I should know and that. And just, just for our listeners, your dad is, is Ronnie Floyd, pastor of Cross Church. You're the Fayetteville campus pastor, and you've been there for how long? Uh, I've been at Cross Church now 10 years. Uh, 10 in the years. Next, like next week is 10 years. All right. So what, what do you get for the 10-year mark? I uh, get a plaque. You get, you get a plaque for your wall. No, you they'll, they'll recognize us and do some special stuff, I'm sure. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. 10 years. All right. So, so you were there before the name change. Yes. Right. And then, and, and so uh, I want to get around to that too. I want to, I want to come back to that. I know we're in the middle of a leadership question, but yeah, I want to make sure kind of people, everybody knew the context. So kind of go back to the story with leadership. Yeah. Yeah. So my dad, our senior pastor, uh, he started what, what was called the summit business person's luncheon. Okay. Every week at our Pinnacle Hills campus uh, during the, two main semesters. So spring and fall, there's a, a season that we go through in each one that we bring in uh, business leaders, political- It's a weekly lunch? A weekly lunch happens on Thursdays. And so that's unique, you know, that, that I don't hear of a lot of churches doing, but it's yeah. been very good where we'll have a few hundred people show up. But if it's a big guest, you know, when, uh, when Dan Kathy from Chick-fil-A came, I mean, that was a big day right there. Yeah. Uh, and so people like that and- you know, they may be local leaders or, you know, or business leaders in the community or, or athletic people, all kinds of stuff. Or we just really try to pour into the community and leadership. And so it's a front door for the church, honestly, where okay. somebody who maybe never, ever thinks about coming to a Sunday morning, but they'll come to hear, you know, a, a football coach from the U- University of Arkansas come and talk on leadership or they'll come when... Maybe basketball coach this year. Hey. Don't, don't be hating. (laughs) Sorry. I get your point though. You're saying, Hey, listen, if we kind of speak the language, if we kind of, you know, respond to where those people are, it gives us an avenue uh, to reach them. It gives us an invitation to, to engage them maybe in a way we haven't. I know you guys also have some other big community events. You guys do a big fireworks, you know, thing every year for the fourth. You do Christmas thing. Tell us a little bit about those and how those work and your kind of overall plan in reaching Northwest Arkansas. Yeah, I think uh, I think we're known in this community for uh, 
for decades since dad's been here and even before then the church had a great reputation, but, but we're kind of known as the church. She does those things in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. I say, I say it in a positive way and in a good yeah. way where I think it, I think it blesses other churches in the community, other Christians and people who don't know the Lord or care to know anything about the Lord. They may come to a Christmas program or they may come to a fireworks display. And so I think all those things are just hooks in the water and uh, things that can help us, you know, show who we really are by offering a service to the community that really gets a glimpse into our heart. What's something you guys do down in Fayetteville, knowing that the University of Arkansas is right there, you're probably reaching uh, overall, I mean, it may, this may be a rationalization, a younger you know, population, a younger generation. Yeah. Um, you know, the, tell, me, tell me how that looks for you guys. How do you guys reach that community? How do you make sure this is a place where, where that young generation finds a home? Yeah, no doubt. Well, Fayetteville is a, uh, it's the biggest city in our community. So there's really four main cities that make up Northwest Arkansas, which is often what it's, what it's recognized as. And Fayetteville is the largest city, about 80,000 or so people. Is that with students? No, when, if you count the students, the student population, I think this year the enrollment is 27,000. Wow. And that's literally five minutes from our campus. Yeah. And so we made a decision when we started eight years ago that we did not want to be a college church but we wanted to be a church with a college ministry. Unpack that. What, what do you mean there? Well, I think it's a big difference. I think you'd be a college church and say, well, man, we're going we're gonna to do programs just for college students. We're going to music just for college students. We're going to preach just for college students. And I think what you'll get is you may get a few hundred college students who can't sustain the work of a church um, yeah. and don't have maturity to carry that on. But what we, what we wanted to do is say, man, we're a church for all generations and we think it's very valuable um, to have a college student sitting next to a 70-year-old on one side of them on Sunday morning and a fourth grader sitting on the other side of them. I think that's the church. And I, w- I think we are um, providing them a greater clarity and a greater look into what their future of church looks like. Um, and so saying that, we have a dynamic college ministry. I think we're the one of the most dynamic college ministries in, in the world. And so literally tonight, there'll be hundreds and hundreds of college students that will descend upon our, our campus and uh, they will have a kicktail uh, Bible study worship time. Tonight. And uh, we see tons of college students saved and baptized. And uh, that's, that's really a major work of what the Lord has done. And yet it's not, it's not the makeup of the church. Mm. If you walk in, you'll see, you'll see college students, no doubt. You'll see a lot of them, but you will see people with white hair. You'll see, you know, young parents carrying in a stroller and, um, so that's, that's really where we've wanted to be. And I think the Lord by his grace has helped us to, to do that. Is there anything that, uh, you guys are doing that the Lord is using to keep that generational balance in play to keep you guys from being focused maybe in one area or the other? I mean, is there anything you guys are doing intentionally to preserve that culture and that community? Yeah, I, I think, uh, I think there are some things we try to help with it. I, you know, I think it's only the work of the Lord that can really sustain it. But I mean, we try to be wise in our worship. Um, what do you mean? I, I think I think the normal person who walk in would say, "Man, that, you know, it's a modern worship service. I mean, they're contemporary, pretty much." But I mean, every now and then, David and I are saying, "Okay, hey, we need to we need to put a hymn in here. You know, let's 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 do this." I mean, we we brought back. Remember the song "Heart of Worship." Yeah. Oh yeah, it was just yeah. like a classic in the early 2000s probably. Coming, coming back to the heart of worship because yeah. it's all about you. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, when the music faded, baby. And so um, <laughs> but we got to the point in the church where we, we just- Had to come we, back to the heart of worship? We, well, we, yeah, we're walking through something, just a series right now. We thought, man, this is the perfect song for that. And it was crazy. Like the moment we started singing it in our main, you know, our biggest service, people knew it. And people started singing yeah. along. So, so I, think, I think worship is a part of that. Um, even in our dress, we try to, we try to um, live up to that a little bit. Uh, what do you mean? Is that just mean you, it's gotta be more than you just don't wear skinny jeans, right? I mean. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's much more. Cause I think, I mean, on a normal. I mean, Sunday, I know you wear skinny jeans, but. Well, listen, not all of us can pull it off, but I'm one of them on this conversation. You're blessed. Yeah. And so. <laughs> what do you mean by your dress? Come back around to that. Well, just again, I think it goes back to a professional, like, Hey, yeah. I may be having jeans on today, but I've got a jacket on and I look like I didn't roll out of bed. Yeah. Um, I don't have to comb my hair because I don't have any. But, but I mean, even with our other ministers of like, man, let's listen, there, there's a set dress code of, even though we're more casual in nature, maybe from your normal uh, church. Like uh, not coat and tie. You guys aren't wearing suits every Sunday and some of those things. Oh, yeah. But you're still, you're still kind of, there's still a standard. Yeah, there's still a standard of excellence. And so, I mean, there, there's certain days in the year where we'll rock a suit and tie, but yeah. the normal is just, man, we got, you got to look excellent. Like, make somebody want to walk down the aisle to you and feel like, is this a college student I'm talking to here? Or is this someone who can really help me with my yeah. spiritual life right now? Or, you know, does this guy, does he own an iron or not? <laughs> and so that's, that's kind of the thought there. I, I'm, I'm wondering here as I, as I look at it to, to kind of think about um, like that, that standard that, you know, even, even kind of saying, well, we're not going to use the word dress code maybe, but there is still kind of this, this standard of excellence. How do you steward that in a culture? Cause I know there's gotta be moments where, you know, maybe you have an intern or somebody that kind of rolls up in there, you know, you know, doesn't know better or maybe does know better and do that. What are some of the words you guys use? I mean, have you ever had to have those, those conversations or is it just something that everybody gets and is kind of an, an unstated thing? Cause I'm thinking of a pastor out there who's like, you know, I get this. I want my younger staff leaders to feel the freedom and to feel like they're not kind of restrained by a pharisaical notion of how you should dress. But yeah. I also want to say, hey, listen, there are some standards. There are some ways that we do present ourselves in a professional sure. way. Yeah. Help me, help me unpack that tension a little bit. Well, it, it is a tension. And we went through it uh, probably six months ago, nine months ago, maybe now, where you know, as I preached on our different campuses, I noticed it was kind of slipping everywhere. What do you mean? Just the just dress code and our pastors and stuff. And I just thought, man, this didn't this doesn't look good. And I guarantee it's not what Ronnie Floyd wants. And so, <laughs> I mean, I know that. And uh, and he would vocalize that every now and then. Yeah. And so really, me and me and two of our other, you know, kind of executive team members just took it upon ourselves and said, okay, we're gonna just strengthen this a little bit and it still is it's still what'd you guys do give me some give me some practical like you don't have to name names if you you know but give me give me some thoughts what did you guys do that was real practical to help strengthen that and kind of course correct a little bit well we i mean we literally said this is the dress code for sundays sundays was really what we were concerned with yeah yeah and so if if i mean i'll get real technical like if you want to wear jeans you need to put a jacket on yeah and uh, blah, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. To where I, there was pushback 
But yeah. ultimately, I knew it was the right thing. And ultimately, I knew it was what our senior leader wanted as well. Yeah. And so if, if we didn't get involved, that would put him in a position where he had to get involved and lay down the hammer. And it's just better if we do that. And so it's been fine. And it's not that big of a deal, ultimately. That's, yeah. what, I tell, that's what I tell a young person you know, on our staff. Like, man, it's not that big of a deal. Like, don't. You got that pushback, you'd say, hey, is this, this isn't really that big of a deal. Well, I'm saying if, if I were to get it, and okay. I know okay. we got some of it, and I know even one of our, our one of my best friends on, on our staff here, I mean, we joke about it. He doesn't like it, but he doesn't, but he's also just surrendered to authority and it's not a big deal. He hadn't made it yeah. an issue. Yeah. So if there was anyone on our staff I, who was pushing back, I probably just, man, that's a, this is a non-issue. Don't, yeah. don't, let's fight over something that we should fight over. This is not a, this is not a big deal. Yeah. And I see that too for you guys as a part of your, your mission to reach. I mean, you, you guys aren't doing this just because you, you feel like, Hey, we need to, we need to look better. Uh, you guys aren't doing this just because you know that, that pastor Ronnie's going to feel like, you know, he's, you know, he's going to have to step in. You're doing it because you understand this is a vehicle to, to, to the gospel taking root in people's lives. I mean, when we walk in and we kind of look presentable, we, we have more, Sure. Credibility on some levels. I mean, is that yeah. is that fair? Absolutely, no doubt. And and I think about the history of Fayetteville is that we're all aging as the church ages. Yeah. But um, in those early years, especially, um, most of our pastors were young, and still most of our pastors are young. And so it's already like, man, we've already got the deck stacked stacked against us in a sense. Of mm-hmm. these guys really know what they're going to do. Are they really going to love me the way that, that I think a pastor should? And if our dress communicates anything negatively, that's just a check mark we don't need. Yeah. We're already behind the eight ball in age. So let's just overcome it with you know, yeah. look nice professional. They're not formal. They just look like they're put together. And that's a, I think that's a positive thing. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I know that extends over to your facilities too. You guys keep that level of excellence, um, you know, from, you know, like you said, the building and grounds, the facility. Tell us about the new building. You, you've been in it almost a year now. Why was that? Why was this an important move? Why was it just that you guys were tired of? Because you, you had a full building before. Yeah. Uh, I tend to remember that parking was, I think, the very definition of a nightmare on Sunday mornings. Yes, that's, uh, that's uh, acceptable and appropriate. And then we, a Wednesday night, I, I remember Awana kids, you know, uh, risked their lives to, to – to yeah, go out and the too. I told people you, you think you think Sunday mornings are bad. Wednesday nights were worse. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but Sunday mornings we uh, well Sundays in general we would have four identical services: three in the morning, one at night. At the old building. At the old building, it was a strip mall, fifteen thousand seven hundred and fifty square feet. So you're not talking plus about minus big minus. space. Yeah, yeah, plus, yeah. And so we parked in six parking lots up and down our street. Um. And it was just, it really was a nightmare, but man, it was a fun move of God. It really was. Yeah. So it, uh, so we, we were in that seven years before we transitioned. And so, man, you think, you think you don't, uh, you can't be reaching people because of a building. I just have like real issues with that. We were running over, we were running over 2000 people in a strip mall with under 16,000 square feet. And parking in six parking lots. So I don't, I don't want to hear a thing about our building hinders us and we can't do yeah. what God wants to do. There are ways 
to move past it and to let the Lord do his deal. I think sometimes I hear that people don't want to add another, like a third or a fourth service, because what about our volunteers? You know, what about our leadership? That's just unsustainable. They, they kind of pretend like, well, as a pastor, I can handle it, but yeah, I just don't want to put my people through that. Tell us, I mean, you guys were running four services every Sunday. That was not an easy challenge, I'm sure. Yeah. No, no it was a beatdown. Um, every time I woke up from a Sunday afternoon nap and thought I had to go back to the 530 service, that was, man, it was a beatdown. Yeah. But, but I would say it is uns- it, it's not sustainable if you don't find new leaders. And so if you're not in the work of developing and discipling new leaders, yeah, it's, it's going to fail and you're going to burn out every one of your leaders. But if this is a culture um, and a constant, we need you, uh, this, is a, this is something that really can raise up people in the church who've never done a thing for the Lord, never done a thing for a church, and gives them a position to help them further their walk with the Lord by serving others. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, can, I can go all day. On how'd this. you guys do that? How'd you guys, how'd you guys maintain that culture and, and that standard of excellence, I know, but also you know, invite people into that in a real healthy way? One thing we did, we, we, uh, Easter, we always took advantage of for several years in a row. And we'd say, because we would have so many services, I, I think yeah. we would normally do five in the old building. I think, I think a year or two, we may have done six. And, uh, all, and all on Easter Sunday or, or like we some did, We would do night. one or two on Saturday night and then four okay. on Sunday. We would start at, we start at 7.30 a.m. on, we did that this even in the new building. And dude, okay. we, hundreds of people show up. It's kind of a crazy deal. Um, and so um, we, would, we would hand out cards the weeks leading up to Easter and say, hey, we need your help on Easter Sunday. If you're serving, that's awesome. If you've never served at all in, in your life, but you want to do this, you want to help yeah. us out for Sunday, give us one service, give us two, give us the whole morning, whatever, whatever you'll give us. And it was just, it could be a recruitment tool for, for weeks and months and years beyond that of people who stepped out in the parking lot for the first time and thought, you know what? I don't mind. This is kind of fun or, yeah. you know, had a background check and rocked a baby during one of the Easter services and thought, man, I'd love to do this every week or every other week. So I think that was one simple way that we had a little recruiting tool that we just based off a genuine need in the church. And then it just could flow into normal service as well. Is there anything else you guys did to, to kind of engage people? Um, or was there any kind of language you used in those moments? Uh, you know, let's get into the, a little bit, you know, cause I, I know we've always heard don't recruit people out of need, recruit out of vision, you know, and so the, we need you kind of gets them one Sunday, but the vision gets them back the next Sunday to do it over and over again. Do you remember anything right offhand that you guys used or said that was particularly meaningful or effective? Uh, I mean, we'd have a massive, a massive, we, we would have a, a leadership meeting yeah. every, every beginning of the semester, usually, especially in the fall was a big deal. We call it a leadership launch where that's kind of a rally to, to our leaders. And I think leaders who are invested help recruit more leaders. And I think even if they're not doing it verbally, I think by that small group leader being sold out to his calling before the Lord, or she is before the Lord, then the people in her in, in their group are saying, man, this is really impacting me. I wonder if I could do this. Maybe I should fill in on a, on a Sunday or on a Wednesday or in a small group or whatever and help them. And, and uh, so, you know, and, and I think too, when you hire the right staff, 
um, who have a heart to develop people and recruit people. That's a whole different thing. Um, I've heard Chris Hodges, the guy at Church of the Highlands before, I've heard him say something like this. I don't, I don't hire pastors to do ministry. I hire pastors to enlist other people to do ministry and to raise up others. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's a good way to look at it. Well, it's, it's Ephesians 4, right? It's, yeah, it's, exactly. it's how, you know, how Paul described leader, church leadership in the early church at Ephesus there, which I think is a model we all strive for. And, and if, I, you know, if I was interviewing somebody, I couldn't imagine them going, no, I'm not really a people developer. I like to kind of take it all on myself and, and be the, the center yeah. of attention and the doer. How do, you guys, how do you guys find those leaders? I mean, how do you know you're not hiring kind of the, the non-developer leader and make sure, is there something you guys do in your hiring process, questions you ask, things you observe? Is there anything like that that kind of gives you a clue? Or do you just trust the discernment and prayer in those, in those moments? I don't know that it comes up as much in the interview process as I think it's just a part of the culture. And it's something that we got to continually reestablish. But I think that the thing that does help us is because we're, I guess, a, what you say is a bigger church, there's constant need. And so yeah. it's like, it, it's almost forces you to do it. Yeah. I, I, re- I remember our, uh, our preschool director at Fayetteville is a girl named Jennifer. And uh, Jennifer's married to a great man, two kids. She's working part-time for us, doing some women's ministry and helping out with some preschool stuff. Um, our preschool director transitioned. She's actually my assistant now. And so we asked Jennifer to be the preschool director. And her number one concern uh, was the recruitment of volunteers. And so her greatest concern is actually the, the thing that she is the absolute best at and one of our best in any ministry in any role across the church. And she's enlisted. She has like, I think a few hundred or almost wow. 200 leaders between preschool and women's ministry that she's doing now. And so she's one example of, of many others. I think about Brian Mills, um, who I think we, right now, uh, he's our college pastor. I think we have 300 college students serving in, in the church in different areas. I was really on his heart to get them more invested in the church where it's not just a Sunday thing. It's not just a Wednesday thing that you come and, and take and that's it. But, uh, and you may not have money right now. I mean, the offering plate comes by and as much as you want to give, there ain't nothing there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you're lot to give, but you can give time. And you can give your, your service and your effort. And so last I heard, I think it was right at 300 college students serving wow. all the ministries of the church. So those are two great examples of people developers who are really living out Ephesians 4 uh, in a powerful way. Is there something tangible that they're doing that you, that you have observed? Is there something to share and pass along to listeners that says, hey, here's, here's something I know and not that there's a silver bullet in this, Nick, but, but just uh, throwing a bone out there, like what does a good people developer look like? What is something they do? Like Brian, I mean, or either of them, what, you know, what's something they're doing to help may stay in that space that you can observe? I think people developers are just people who are always with people. I don't think it's that hard. I've, I've shared it with, uh, you know, we, have, we do like goals here at our church. And so we're talking okay. about attendance goals and baptism goals. And, and I've said it this way before that those guys who I've known over the years who are always about being with people. I mean, they're at breakfast, lunch, coffee. They're not stuck behind a computer in an office, but man, they're out with the people. Those people never struggle to reach a baptism goal. 
because they're just naturally with people who visit the church and who are part of the church. They're just yeah. having natural conversations that lead to the gospel. They're leading people to Christ and seeing them baptized and inviting them to serve and really kind of naturally yeah. bringing them into the ministry. Exactly. So, so I think, I think when you think about Mills, um, Ronnie Parrott was a master at this. Uh, if you remember Ronnie on yeah. ours. Yeah. He's over in North Carolina now. Yeah. Yeah. He's pastor. I'm doing great. And uh, Ronnie was a master at this. And Brian Mills is a master at this. There's always with people. And when yeah. you're with people and you just have the heart of God to be, you know, serving in the field, then God has a way of meeting your needs with what you, what you really need in ministry, what you need serving and all that kind of stuff. So people developers are just people, people in a sense. And they just love work. that. The, the, the biggest strategy is, is sometimes just being out of your office. Now I know that that causes some discomfort for senior pastors who walk down the, down the office corridor yeah. and don't see their people in the office. Like, how do you know they're actually working? I mean, how do you know, how do you know they're not out just goofing around, but yeah. they're really, you know, what's something you guys, you know, is there, is that, does that cause any consternation or, you know, is it just, you know, them well enough? I think it only causes consternation when, um, when there's not a trust there mm-hmm. and the trust is usually built when, I mean, we're, I've already alluded to, I mean, we, we count things here. Yeah. I was going to go back to goals too. I want to un- unpack that a little bit. Yeah. And, and numbers aren't everything. We're, yeah. I think we have a healthy view on numbers here. Yeah. Like we getting called in the office and reamed out because, you know, they didn't hit a number. Yeah. I think it is a good checkup. And, and what I would say is um, even those who are out of the office a lot, you can tell. Yeah. They'll tell it in some of those metrics that come up. Um, and Brian Mills is a perfect example of that. Brian, Brian jokes all the time he doesn't have an office here. And so he's often on the University of Arkansas campus or in a coffee shop or at yeah. his house studying for Wednesday or whatever it may be. Um, there ain't a person on our staff who worries about Brian Mills. Yeah. And that's because he's been a proven leader and a proven uh, guy who is doing the work of the ministry, seeing people saved, baptized, called to ministry, serving in ministry. And so, yeah, that's what I'd say about all that. I love, I love that idea that trust plays a, plays a huge part of that. Um, and that, and that there's, a, there's a high level of trust. Come back around to the goals real quick because I, you know, I know you guys' heart, uh, but I want to hear a little bit, you know, of when you say we have goals, goals of attendance, goals of baptism, some of those things. First of all, why is that important for you guys um, to do that? And then, and then kind of navigate a little bit of that. Okay, so how do you set a baptism goal? I mean, what, 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 how do you set that and how do you steward that in a way, knowing that it's really a work, the work of God in people's lives that leads to that ultimately, but, but God uses us. And so kind of walk us through that if you, if you don't mind. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, you know, I'm not scared by numbers. And I know there are some guys who are wired in the same way. And then there are some who are wired the exact opposite. Yeah. There are some who would say, hey, listen, that's really not, not super biblical, even though there's a whole book of the Bible called Numbers. And yeah. I was keeping very close count. Uh, yeah. yeah. There some would say, hey, listen, you know, but that, you can't put numbers on the, on the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Well, somebody counted. In the New Testament, too. somebody counted, right? I mean, yeah. Luke counted and, you know. Yeah. They, yeah Luke knew that there were 3,000 people saved yeah. at Pentecost. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, you know. I think, I think the bad ways that we've seen numbers done at times and the misuse of numbers mm-hmm. 
causes some people to run from it. And, and, and yet it's like, you know, you just can't throw the baby out with the bathwater of a, a godly way, I think, to do numbers to say, man, we really are, are, we really are serious about our mission. Mm-hmm. And in our context, we're, we are proudly, man, we, we would say we're an evangelistic church. Our, our mission uh, here is reaching Northwest Arkansas and the, uh, America and the world for Jesus Christ, okay? And so, I mean, that's, that's what we do. And so we want to measure what we do because we could be thinking we're doing it, but in our context, one of the, one of the major ways that we see that that is really happening is, is people being baptized. You say, well, why isn't people being saved? Well, anybody can walk an aisle Anybody can raise a hand and we could count that and say, well, we have, we've had this many professions of faith this year. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different level of the seriousness about the decision and even the discipleship about the decision. If, if you think about how weird baptism is really, when you think about it, it is the only thing culture hasn't copied to this point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, every other, every other element communion, the worship, the hymn. I mean, everything else has been photocopied or, or kind of counterfeited, but baptism to me still stands alone as that one weird thing that believers, followers of Christ do Yeah, that there's really not a model of anywhere else. No, and you think about it, again, we're so used to baptism and we're so yeah, yeah. convinced that it is God, it's God's way because it's in the yeah, Bible yeah, and Jesus did yeah. it and everything there. But if somebody's going to, because they made a decision to follow Christ, allow you to take them into a pool of water and put their, you know, head under the water, usually in front of a bunch of people, in front of a bunch of people usually, and then come up out of the water, sopping wet. That's a, that's a big step. Whether we realize it or not, we could say, well, baptism doesn't matter. It's really about the fruit that comes after it. Listen, I agree. Um, and, And we're serious about that as well. But that's why us counting things like baptisms uh, are an important thing. And so our, our main metrics here are we're going we're gonna to count attendance, we're going to count baptisms, and we're going to count small group attendance. And so, because um, we think a lot of that growth happens, obviously, within the context of a small group. Yeah. And so it gives us at least a snapshot. It doesn't tell us the whole story. If our small groups are terrible, then nobody's growing. But if we are confident in that and continually trying to, to grow that into what we hope are real uh, growing units for people, then, then that's a good thing for us to measure as well. So are we, are we 200 people down? But well, what does that tell us about the condition of the church? Are we not serious about the teaching aspect of what Jesus commanded us to do? Or, you know, so, so we're just, uh, we're pretty, pretty serious about it. And you've, you've been to our staff advance. Um, that's a big part of our staff advance. That's usually that first afternoon is the numbers day. And we're going to review where we've been as a church. And um, then what are our goals for, for next year in that? How do those goals get set, right? I mean, like a baptism goal. Do you set that kind of like, this is what God has done in the past. This is what we anticipate God doing in the future or kind of what we, what we hope for. Yeah. Give me a little sense of what that looks like. It's that. It's usually we, we take a look at last year. And then it kind of goes ministry of a ministry of, hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm really praying and, and going to work towards that God will allow us to see 50 children be baptized or 100 students or something like that. Yeah. And then it ends up coming down, uh, you know, to where the campus pastors really may, may push 
and say, no, guys, I, th- I think the Lord's calling us to do more. I think we can do more or, hey, I think that's a little too aggressive and let's, let's put it here. So that, it's kind of a process like that from minister to campus pastor and the campus pastor really is the one who ultimately turns it into uh, what would be me and Jeff and then we'll give the yeah. report, if that makes sense. You're, you're really in a second chair role there on some, on some senses, right? I mean, I know there's, you're not the only second chair leader, but you are in a second chair position. Yeah, absolutely. Talk about the dynamic. What's one thing you would share to another second chair leader that's out there listening who may not be the lead pastor, may not be the senior pastor, but still is kind of in that second chair level of influence. Is there something you've gleaned? Is there something you've learned along the way? Sure. Yeah. So I was the campus pastor at our Fayetteville campus for the first six years, probably. And then this last, uh, these last two, uh, Phil McMichael, the guy I referenced at the beginning of the podcast, he, uh, he moved into that role. And so my role shifted. And so um, my, my role officially is our lead teaching pastor and staff leader uh, for our campuses. And so, um, so while I do that, um, I used to tell people who, who were, stepping into a campus pastor role, I used to tell them this statement <laughs> that you will be continually jolted with the shock that you are not the senior pastor. <laughs> and it, and it is, if you've ever been a campus pastor, every campus pastor in America who's listening is going like, that is so true, man. I was continually jolted with the shock that I was not. I think the same thing is true for the second chair. Um, and I don't know if I even, I've even thought through it in that same way till this moment, but I think it's really true of there are times that I'm just reminded I'm not the senior pastor. And even if I'm for something, if my dad is not, it's not going to go anywhere. And it yeah. doesn't matter. I mean, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying it should be any different either. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I... How do you handle those moments, Nick? How, what do you, maybe in a positive or negative way? Because I think it can go both ways, right? There's, there's moments where you're reminded, oh, yes, I'm not the senior pastor. You know, and that's kind of a good yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but I think also, you know, for the most part, in my experience as a campus pastor and in that second chair role, it is that, okay, so, so this isn't the way I would do it. It's not the way I see it. Uh, I have thoughts otherwise, but I'm not the senior pastor. Um, how do you handle that? What's something you do personally to kind of work through those moments? Um, you, go, you go hit golf balls or, you know, what is that that you do uh, yeah. to, to kind of move through that? Well, and you know, I, I think um, I think it's always good to remember if God wanted me in that chair, He would have put me in that chair, and He hadn't. Yeah. And so for every second chair leader out there who's in disagreement on a minor issue or a significant issue, you know what? If God wanted me to be the pastor, I'd be the pastor, but I'm not the pastor, and so I'd need to do what the pastor wants to do, and not begrudgingly, and not with a bad attitude, and not with a carnal spirit of division, but just a man. This is this is what God's led him to do. And I, I don't want to get in the way of that. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm behind him. And obviously we're not talking about matters of core conviction where you where there's kind of this biblical conviction that, yeah. Hey, this is the wrong thing to do because I think then there's Matthew 18. We have a lot of other approaches um, sure. within that at that point, but I'm just kind of talking about the day-to-day mechanics. Yeah. You're saying, yeah. you're saying it's just a quick reminder. Hey, I'm, yeah, it's a quick reminder. And, and it's a, I think it's a, a focus on, okay, well, I, I, I'm not going to be able to affect that right now, but I can affect this over here. Yeah. And so almost like some short-term and long-term type goals of, you know, maybe, maybe 
uh, somebody's out there listening, maybe my senior leader at, at, at three years from now will feel a little better about what I'm trying to get us down the field with. But yeah. maybe not right now. So I need to just press the brakes and move on to something else that I can really help the church and help him right now. And I think that's a good, humble way to look at it, you know? I think God uses us in that humility too. Oh, yeah. And, and you hate every second of it. Yeah. And then at the, at the end, you see that God was working the whole time and they, you were stupid to even think anything different and that they were right the whole time. David McKinney and I talk about it all the time, you know, over the years, dad is, he'll suggest a song here or there. And there've been times, you know, a few times over the years, we're like, ah, shout know. to the Lord. I don't know. Hey, like don't knock the classic, man. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Remember, we just did Heart of Worship. Um, <laughs> I know that's... But, but there's been a but there's been a few times over the years where David and I just kind of went, oh, I don't, we don't want to do that. But we just submitted under authority, and no joke, every single time it has worked. I'm not kidding, every single time. And so we we joke about it now, like man, we're just pretty frustrating when it works. No, it's, it's at, just at a the, real level. I mean, just let's go down. Let's go at the real level. You're like, oh dang, I really wish that would have missed once. Well, probably just so we could funny more than hard. Yeah, yeah. And then it's just, but we talk about it and we're, yeah. we're really convicted about it. There's something that God honors when the, when people are under God's authority. Mm. And that's not something people like to talk about or live in or live under. Yeah. There is a unique space of God's blessing when you step under God's authority, meaning your leader, whoever that is yeah. in a church. I so, love that. And I think it brings us full circle around even to the dress conversation, some of those things. It really is, really is about that authority. Hey, Nick, I think from the outside looking in, you know, it'd be easy to look at numbers. It'd be easy to look at success. It'd be easy to look at notoriety and some of those things that the church enjoys and say, man, they, you know, they've got it going on. Everything is perfect there. They don't have any challenges. What's one thing that, that you could share with our folks that you're kind of walking through right now, whether it's at the Fayetteville level or, or you know, it, you know church-wide, What's something you would say, hey, listen, for us, this is a place where we're praying for breakthrough, where we're asking God to give us clarity or to help us as we lead in, in this way. Yeah, I'll take a Fayetteville specific if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, for us, uh, and it's hard to know, it's hard to recognize unless you've ever been in that spot and, and every pastor who's listening who's ever been in that spot, you're like, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But we were in a desperate need of a change of location. And so uh, for so long, our focus in a good way, not even in a bad way, was on about the future of what God was doing. And so there was the, the, the unveiling of, hey, God's given us property. And then the unveiling of plans and then a capital campaign to raise money that we're, we're in year two of three. Uh, and so there was, there's that big buildup and then you get all the way to opening day and it's like, Bam, you know, we, we, we got this thing open. So everything's been about this new building for years. I mean, the stresses on campus, the, the, you know, everything's come to that moment, right? Yes, exactly. And in a pod, I say this in an all positive way. I'm not saying it's, all, yeah. it's negative in any sense because there was a real mission behind it too. Man. We, yeah. we got to reach more people and we don't have the capacity here. We've hit the lid. And, uh, and so, um, so we get in the building and, and, and it's just kind of been, well, what now? And even we, we did a series right after we opened out of the book of Mark and we called it, what now? It's like, what is God asking us to do now? Um, 
Yeah, because I mean, I imagine everybody was like super excited first Sunday, second Sunday is a little less excited, and then third Sunday yeah. was like, okay, you know, we sure. got to build. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the new wears off very quickly. First time somebody spills coffee on the floor, you're like, oh, all right. Yeah, yeah, we just, yeah, we just had our first uh, New Year, uh, not New Year's Eve, uh, but Christmas Eve service, candlelight. Yeah. Perfect. Candle wax everywhere, right? Oh, bro. Like you couldn't believe it was like out there. It was terrible. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's just a crazy thing. And so um, even though we tried to be proactive in that, I, I yeah. think if I'm real honest, I think, especially when you get into the summer and even this past fall, I, I, I think there's a wandering yeah. of the church really saying, well, what, what are we doing? I mean, what, what's next? I mean, what's the big vision push next? The and, building uh, had become the vision for so long that once yeah. you're in the building, there's a vision vacuum. Like what exactly. is yeah, exactly? And, and so, no matter how hard we try and lead to something bigger, there's still the tangibility of giving money, moving in, all yeah. those things. That really, yeah. it's, it's something to put your arms around and and accomplish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not always ministry either. Um, and so we, uh, so honestly, we're in a series right now um, out of the book of Hosea. And uh, in, in all four weeks, <laughs> I've been joking with the church, like, um, you don't know what the next three weeks are about. Just like last week was about return to God. Yeah. This week that I'm about to do is return to God. Next yeah. week, I return to God. Fourth yeah. week, I return to God. And so, uh, so <clears throat> in a real sense, we're just saying, man, God, we, we need you to break through. Mm. And just do something new and fresh. And, that, and I think that happens when God's people return to him. And uh, the thing about Hosea is there's a certainty about it that Maybe. God will meet you. Like when you, when you make a tangible decision as the people of God to return to God, it's that Hosea 6 passage that he will come to us as, as sure as the coming of the day. So, so literally, I mean, you and I both expect the sun to come up tomorrow. Well, that's the certainty that God gives us that he will meet us upon our return to him. And as certain as the spring rains that fell upon Israel, so God will meet his people who return to him. So that's been the real push for our church is, uh, is just to, to return to him in, uh, in every way in our lives. And, and so I think, I think the Lord's stirring something special and uh, I think it's going to lead to the next whatever for us. I always ask three questions of, of every guest. And uh, let me give you the first one here. What's one daily or regular habit you practice that keeps you close to the heart of God? Time with the Lord every morning. It's a non-negotiable. I'm more convinced of it. What does that look like for you? Um, I'm not a super early riser. Um, My dad is. My dad literally gets up at like three in the morning. Yeah, I was going to say your dad gets up like, not not just an early time. Your dad gets up at, I mean, super early. Still nighttime. Yeah. Yeah. Still nighttime. Um, But that's him. And that's his his wiring. And uh, Does he go to bed like at seven, eight o'clock? No, he stays up to like 10 or 10.30. And so, so, but I think everybody's got to do what's them yeah. and he's never put that on me. Yeah. And so, so I'm, I'm trying to be in my office about 6 a.m., which is still early. At the church, 6 a.m. No, I'm sorry, my, my home office. Okay, 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 okay. I spend the mornings at home studying and all that. I'm trying to be at, at, in my office at 6 a.m., time with the Lord before the kids wake up. And that gives me a good solid, you know, time to do that. And, uh, and then I'll help Meredith get the kids to school. And then... As soon as they leave the house, I walk right back into my study and I'm, I'm rolling for the day. Is there anything you use? I mean, is, is it just straight Bible reading? Is there a practice within that? Is there any kind of uh, habit you have within that time with God? I've done a, uh, 
I always boil it down to two things with our people, and I try to just make it real simple. Uh, it's just time with the Lord in reading the Bible. And I would say read the Bible, don't read a devotional. Let the devotional be a, an extra. Okay. But that's not, that's not God's word. And so uh, this past year, I've done, a, uh, I've done a Bible reading plan. So actually in the morning, I finished my last few chapters of the Bible. Um, and so I'll see what the Lord wants Tomorrow me to Tomorrow morning you finish up? Tomorrow morning. So it's Sweet. interesting you, uh, you're asking me this today. And then, uh, then I always just tell my, uh, like I told my small group a few weeks ago, um, you know, the notes app on the phone, like uh-huh. that's where I keep my prayer list. And so um, that's uh, several things I'm praying about. And then as I go through the year, I'll add and add and add and add. And then it's just random, just, at some point, I think this is just monotonous and routine, and so I'm just going to start new, and I just start Good. fresh, totally, and I can just delete that and move on. So I love that. That's how I do it. Second question: If you could go back to your first year of ministry and tell yourself one thing, what would it be? You don't know what you don't know. You can't okay. skip. <laughs> we'll Unpack that a bit for me. <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. I, I told a group of. Uh, of interns at a, at a church I previously served at this morning. I was on another Zoom call with them and I just said, man, you don't know what you don't know. And I can't even define what that is, but you can't skip over the next 10 years of your life. Mm-hmm. And I try to tell that with our, our younger, especially our younger, talented, ambitious guys who will do great things in the church and for the Lord, but they're just frustrated right now. Like, man, I just, I have a call to lead and I just want to do that. Yeah. And, but yet they're not, they're really not ready for it yet. And they don't know they're not ready for it yet. Um, I just, I just say, man, you just, you just got to be patient and you just got to let the Lord do some things. um, There are things in life that you go through and I'm, and I'm still young. So I'm sure a 50 year old's looking at me saying, well, yeah, that's a, that's you buddy. And I, I believe it wholeheartedly. Things that life teaches you, things that ministry teaches you that you just can't skip over. And so I just, I just tell my year old ministry uh, person that is in me, just shut up and just chill out. Let the Lord do what he wants to do. Good word. Good word. Here's the last question. Is there one book you consistently recommend or give as a gift? Um, can I give you three? Uh, you know what? Yes, you can. I'm, I'm a fan of books. Because I think there are different categories here. Um, right, but you're going to have to give me categories. You're going to have to give me the why, not just the book name. Okay. I think, I think a great one for pastors, Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. Classic. Okay. Classic. Uh, and for strong believers who are ready to really make disciples and give their life to that. Uh, a, a small little book for anybody um, is a little book by Chuck Swindoll called Intimacy with the Almighty. I think if you're starting out with somebody who's just come to faith in Christ or is a baby Christian, never been discipled. And you want them to learn about the, the intentionality of your first question yeah. uh, on the time with the Lord. It's a great way to start there. But I'd say I've been consumed with a, a book recently who, uh, who I had a buddy uh, tell me about it probably a year or two ago and I never picked it up, uh, never bought it. And, uh, but I read it at the beginning of January and we have now bought it for about a hundred of our staff across all campuses that they'll, they don't even know it yet, but they're about to yeah, get it. Yeah. 
Um, it's called A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. You ever read it? No, no, I've never read it, but it's, it's already in my Amazon cart. Yes, A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. And it is a book about surrender. It's a book about um, authority. Uh, it, it's a book about letting God direct your steps. I mean, it, wow. it'll, but it's a really short read too. I think it's 94 pages and even all those, a lot of those are like half pages. So it's a very easy, quick read, but uh, something the Lord has really done a great work in me uh, this year. So it's about Saul, David, and Absalom. Hmm. Story related to all that. And so it's fascinating and be a great one to have add. You've taken you. every one of the staff through it. Yes, all of our pastoral staff, school of ministry, associate types, they will all walk through this book over the next month or so. Why? Uh, just because it majorly impacted me and I think it will majorly impact them. And so um, those that I have had to read it so far are giving me the same reactions. So, you know, I didn't know. So it's just me. Yeah, yeah. Just in me. My wife. I just really ready for this at this time kind of a yeah, thing. Exactly. Yeah, my wife, yeah. I gave it to her because I, mean, I was raving about it. So yeah. she said, well, I'll read it. And first day she said, I, I'm not really following this. The second day she finished it and she said, okay, I, I, yeah, I see it. I see a it. Tale of Three Kings. Tale of Three Kings. T-A-L-E. Not T-A-I-L. Thanks for the yes. clarification there. Yes. That would be a different book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's that's just. T-L-L. So yeah. tell. Yeah, if you're if you're from the south, a tell of three kings. That's that's you know the stories. Yeah. Hey, brother, man, I appreciate the little bit of time here. Thanks for sharing a little bit of your heart and what God is doing there at Cross Church and in Fayetteville. And um, I look forward to uh, seeing the leadership journey you're on continue. And appreciate you uh, pouring into the hearts of these listeners for us. So thanks for being on. Thanks, brother. Enjoy the time. Thank you for listening to My Ministry Breakthrough from the Oxano Podcast Network. You can head over to myministrybreakthrough.com to join the conversation and access our show notes, including the books or other resources mentioned in this episode. If you enjoy hearing these stories of ministry breakthrough, we would be honored if you would subscribe, rate, and even leave a review on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. Thanks again for listening.